0: Good afternoon, everyone. It is CW. Thank you for joining us on the Top Docs Radio Show today. We're continuing our series with Medical Association of Georgia, and I'm very pleased to have with me in the studio, freshly elected Senator for Georgia, the District 32, Dr. Kay Kirkpatrick, with me in the studio this morning. Thanks for making your way in.
1: Oh, I'm happy to be here.
0: <laughs> so from what I understand, you spent 30 years as an orthopedic surgeon, And now you're talk about Talk about what got you into medicine. And then once you got there and you spent a couple of decades or more doing that kind of work, you decided, you know what, I think I'm going to go and get into public service.
1: Well, when I went to medical school, there weren't very many women in orthopedic surgery. I won't say what year that was. But I was the first woman in my orthopedic program. And I always thought orthopedics was the most fun specialty because you can fix things and get people better, and then they go about their lives. Hand surgery is a subspecialty of that, and that's what I really spent most of my career doing. And I went to work with one guy in 1986, Dr. Frank Joseph. We added people, added people, merged, merged, and eventually we (laughs) became part of the mega group, uh, Resurgence Orthopedics, which is now the third largest group in the country.
0: I didn't realize it was that large. I definitely knew it was certainly one of the largest, if not the largest, in the region. But wow, that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, well, it's uh, it was all about staying in business. And consolidation, as you know, for better or worse, is kind of where we're headed in healthcare, which is uh, not a good thing necessarily for choice for patients and um, consumers, but that's what we have to do to stay in business these days because of the excessive burden of government regulations that we're dealing with.
0: Mm -hmm. And when it came time for you to start moving towards, okay, I've made the decision, I'm going to see what it's like to get into public service. What was that process like? What kind of surprised you when you start getting into the whole notion of election process?
1: Well, I had run the group as co-president for 12 years. And so I had announced that I was going to retire at the end of January. (laughs) And in early December, Judson Hill called me and told me that he was going to run for Congress, which was going to leave an open seat in my district. I talked to a couple people and my background between healthcare and business together seemed like a good fit. For all the things that are going on yes. in the healthcare space right now and in our state. There were 31 healthcare bills last year in the legislature. So there aren't very many physicians down there, and I just wanted to do what I can to help for a few years. Little did I know, since this was all of a sudden decision, <laughs> that the political scene was going to be completely different than the very positive love fest that I'd participated in for over 30 years with my patients, my staff, my peers. Much more negative environment, particularly in this particular point in time.
0: It really is. I I feel as though as a country, we've really kind of gotten just more and more polarized. I mean, I'm sure... politics has been pretty ugly going back. I've read some of the the campaign slogans and sta- statements they made back even in the time of like Thomas Jefferson, but it still feels particularly vicious today. And I know that having spent myself, uh, my career in healthcare ever since I got out of college basically and watching a number of, of laws be passed that certainly made me scratch my head from time to time uh, that affected healthcare i know that for me i'm pleased to see more physicians and healthcare providers of different types moving into some public service so that they can have uh, some measure of, of voice in that process because sometimes like i say i've just i've, I've seen some decisions and i'm just like what are we doing For you, now that you're here and you've gone through the process, it it clearly can be done. I can move from practice to public servant. Uh, What would you say to your colleagues? Get out and and, uh, consider local or state or, or even above leadership options?
1: Well, if you ask me today, I would say yes, it's absolutely something that we should be doing. We should be getting involved in the process. If you'd asked me that three weeks ago... I might have had a different answer because I was still in the throes of the campaign world. But one of the things that physicians are really good at, aside from being scientific and logical in the way that we think, by and large, most physicians have pretty good communication skills. We communicate with people all day long, every day, one-on-one and in small groups, and we're used to working as part of a team, and I think that I may be naive in saying this, but I would hope that that type of skill set can add something to the conversation under the gold dome.
0: Georgia State Senator, District 32, Dr. Kate Kirkpatrick with me in the studio today, learning a little bit about her background in medicine and what moved her into public service. And when it comes to Georgia and its healthcare system, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air today. I mean, there's there's some things I think that we're doing well here, um, at least moving in the right direction. And I know we've got some some serious gaps here and there. Talk about your thoughts as you look around the landscape of Georgia healthcare and its state. I know we have um, one of my other partners in the Top Docs show, Tanya Mack, and women's telehealth uh, was here earlier. And we were talking about the fact that there are certainly some deserts uh, in both dentistry and in medicine uh, for the state of Georgia. So when you look around where do you see points of points of you know things we can be proud of and can keep building on and maybe some things we might need to shore up
1: you're very familiar with the two georgias that people talk about a lot at the legislature so i think in metro atlanta we tend to have more access mm-hmm. than people do out in the state There is a lack of competition in our marketplace, which has gotten worse as things have become more consolidated in the insurance market Mm -hmm. and also on the provider side. We have a lot of people that need coverage that don't have it and a lot of people that receive their care in a way that's probably less than ideal. So in other words, people show up at the emergency room when they're sick and then they get admitted to the hospital It's a pretty expensive way to take care of people with chronic diseases. So one of the things where I think we can really make some progress over the next few years, hopefully, is to figure out better ways to handle chronic diseases proactively to keep people out of the very expensive care settings that they're ending up in now.
0: Yes, obviously, we're in the heart of meat and three, and probably a camel or two, and so I'm sure there's quite a bit of diabetes and heart disease and cardiovascular diseases and and on and on that, that are out there to be managed.
1: Well, not only that, but people really need help navigating through the system. There's not a lot of coordination that happens in our healthcare system in many cases, and Patients really need help not falling through the cracks and being sure that their providers are talking to each other. So I think we've got a long way to go with that. The electronic medical record, a lot of people thought that that would be a solution. It may have even made things worse in some ways. Certainly, it makes a nice filing cabinet. Mm -hmm. But in terms of improving that coordination between people, we're just not there yet.
0: I know that Georgia is one of the states that is somewhat leading the way around telemedicine as a way to deliver care to some of those remote regions and even to organizations that are in in cities too, depending on the type of specialist that we're talking about. Do you see that as maybe being one of those ways that we can as we continue to kind of expand its capabilities and then also the payers are trying to catch up with telemedicine as well in terms of how do we how do we handle that across state lines and so forth. What are your thoughts on that as a as resource?
1: I think we've got to use technology to help us improve access for people. And I think that's particularly the case in rural areas where we're just never going to have enough doctors. I used to be on the uh, Physician Workforce Board for the state, And one of the things that was very clear is people come out of medical school, and then they don't have a residency slot in Georgia. And people who do residencies in places many times will stay there. Mm -hmm. So we can definitely work on improving access to residency slots in Georgia. But telemedicine, I'm a big supporter of. I think that it's very important that it be handled in a way that is safe for the patients. Because particularly specialty areas, we're just not going to be able to deliver enough specialists to the rural areas. Mm. I also think that mid-level providers can play a strong role that has to be managed properly so that people get the right level of training for what their problem is.
0: When it comes to our Medicaid program, I mean, obviously that's a big component out there in some of those regions I was talking about earlier where there are very limited physicians and, and other healthcare uh, points of care, uh, what can we do about the Medicaid side of things to be able to keep that care accessible to those patients that are using that sort of system?
1: Well, I'm still in the process of learning about what the state is doing there, but I've already started meeting with the Department of Public Health, and they work closely with Department of Community Health to handle our Medicaid program. And they are working now together on some pilot programs to tackle this chronic disease thing that I was talking about. What happens in state government or any other type of government, and also in private enterprise sometimes, is you have a lot of people working on the same thing, but they may not be working together on it. So I think if we can get the people together that are working on the same problems and be sure that everyone's communicating well, we can really make some progress.
0: I know that in your specialty of focus in medicine, being in orthopedics, you saw plenty of people who were dealing with pain, um, having to take some measure of, of um, opiates to control pain. I mean, talk about that a little bit because I know that the Medical Association of Georgia's Foundation has got the think about it campaign underway. They're working to raise awareness around how to store and dispose of your medications for example for the home folks and then also trying to kind of educate prescribers on how to prescribe talk a little bit about what we can do because both the opiates and prescription medicine and I was really surprised to learn about the heroin um, addiction rates uh, in in our communities as well. Those are major problems.
1: Well, actually I'm giving a talk about this exact thing to the orthopedic residents on behalf of the george orthopedic society this weekend and we do know that opiates are gateway drug for heroin what happens is people get opiates out of the medicine cabinet for their 90 year old grandmother or whatever those end up on the street or the person gets addicted Heroin is much cheaper and easier to come by than opiates. And so the next thing you know, you've got this huge overdose problem Mm -hmm. that we have right now. So the state's been working on this since about 2012. Mm -hmm. They started some new rules. They've done a pretty good job now of getting the pill mill doctors under control and getting them out of here. Mm -hmm. But the mainstream providers like me, for example, in orthopedics, when you're taking care of fractures and people that have surgery— People are going to need pain medication. It's very fascinating if you start looking at effectiveness of pain medications, and what you learn is that the combination of Tylenol and ibuprofen is more effective than oxycodone Mm -hmm. for many people. Now, not everybody can take anti-inflammatory medicines, but there are lots of things that we can do to manage pain in a different way, even in the post-op setting. And we really need to be educating ourselves that, People really, most people don't want to take these drugs, and they don't want them sitting around their house. And so instead of writing a set number of pills like we did when I trained, we'd write 30 of whatever. Well, it turns out, and I've been working on this for several years, my patients, if they have a carpal tunnel release, they probably don't need any opioids, or they might need six, not 30. So there are things that we can do. And I think we are seeing opioid prescribing on the decline. The government didn't help this when they made pain the fifth vital sign and started paying hospitals based on questions that had to do with how was your pain managed. So that's kind of where this started. And then, of course, the big pharma some of the drug companies are now being sued because they were going around telling doctors, oh, this is not addictive, and stuff like that. So it's multifaceted. We've got to work together with law enforcement. We've got to work together with the medical community, with the providers who are doing treatment. We need to shine a spotlight on this problem and just get it taken care of.
0: Now, w- I, I'm aware that you're a part of the Medical Reserve Corps. What what was it that got you involved in in that part of MAG's work around the state?
1: Whether you know it or not, which you probably do, but we don't think about this a lot, we have natural disasters that happen in Georgia pretty regularly Mm -hmm. that have to do with tornadoes, hurricanes, and whatever. I heard a lecture about disaster preparedness, I can't remember which medical meeting it was, but... I got involved with the organization because what they do is they train medical professionals, doctors, nurses, front desk people, respiratory therapists, whatever, how to respond if there's an emergency. And that might be a natural disaster. It might be a man-made disaster. And Mm -hmm. we've seen this in uh, many cities over the last couple years. And many of us think that it's not a matter of if this is going to happen to us. It's just a matter of when particularly with a huge metro area with Air Force Base sitting up in the northwest part of the city. We just need to be ready. And you can't just have people showing up at a disaster scene. So the federal government has had a big push on emergency management. They had a um, big statewide seminar three or four weeks ago, I think, in Savannah. And I think Georgia is really leading the way. Our state is the first state where the Medical Association is really in charge of the Medical Reserve Corps piece of it, but that's in coordination with all the other agencies Mm -hmm. that are working on disaster management. And one of the most fun things I did last year was go to Savannah on a C-130, and um, the Medical Reserve Corps flew down. We set up our field hospital. We triaged a bunch of pretend patients, made a disposition, broke the field hospital down, and flew back on the C-130 in one day. It's for the period of time between zero and 72 hours before the feds get there. I see. So that's really the point. And we've got eight of these field hospitals in the state that are in trailers. It's all packed up. Everything you need for a hospital, all you have to do is unpack it, set it up, and have the personnel to man it. I think it's a great program. We've got, I think, 60 or so medical professionals trained now, and we'd like to get that up to 100.
0: I see. Talk about that. You you went through it yourself as a physician. So what's that process like? As many of our listeners, because we've been doing this series with Medical Association of Georgia, are physicians and and other clinicians. I mean, what's the process like to become one of those folks so that I can prepare? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there going, my my schedule's way too busy. I probably can't do that.
1: Well, all you have to do really is contact Susan Moore at the Medical Association. And you have to check off some online training classes that are through FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Group. They're not difficult. They do take some time, but you can do them at your own pace. Mm -hmm. And then you take a test, get your certificate. And once you've done that, we have trainings in various places in the state several times a year. We did one exercise on radiation uh, exposure. We've done a training session on how to offload people off of a C-130. And it's actually... Fun, there's camaraderie with the people that are there, but it's important. And uh, we have been put on uh, deployment-ready status a number of times with the hurricanes and tornadoes that have popped up here and there. And that just means you have to respond and say you're available or not available. You don't have to be available all the time. You get your stuff packed up, and then they decide whether they're deploying you or not. Just because you go through the training and get ready to go doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have to show up for every single thing that happens.
0: I see. So it's not quite like being in the um, military reserve, for example, where you have a commitment every every month and then some longer one once or twice a year.
1: No, there are three or four trainings a year, and they're on the weekend. And as I said, the online requirements—you can check those off in your. Living room with your pajamas on.
0: Well, as you come in as a new senator for District Thirty-Two here in Georgia, I mean, you looking at the upcoming year. Do you have some things on your on your agenda internally, or or maybe being laid on your agenda for you to to really be focused on as this as this next session or two comes in?
1: Well, I'm very fortunate because since this was a special election, it was off cycle. So that means that the session doesn't start until January, but my district has been without a senator since February. Okay. And so I went ahead and got sworn in so that I can get to work because constituents in my district need someone to go to if they're having a problem. But certainly I'll be on committees, but I haven't been assigned to my committees yet. I did put in my requests and I'm hoping to certainly be involved in the health committee. Uh, Insurance is a special interest. Public safety is a special interest. So I'm waiting to see. I think I will be involved with the Healthcare Reform Task Force that's on the Senate side. That is a new thing. They've already had one meeting, and I was able to attend that. And certainly there are things that pop up all the time. Most recently, for example, uh, one of our large insurers, Blue Cross Blue Shield, decided that it was – a good idea to tell people that they weren't going to pay for non-emergent things after the fact. So in other words, if you go to the emergency room thinking you have a heart attack and then it turns out not to be a heart attack, they're not going to pay. So we got to figure out how to work with the insurance company and also the insurance commissioner's office. And I'm not sure where all that will go, but there are always things like that that come up during the off session, but there is work to be done. I certainly, in my career, have learned a lot about healthcare and about business, but there are other areas that are equally complicated that I'm having to learn more about. Education seems to be just as complicated as healthcare. Mm. They have more acronyms than we do, I think. <laughs> uh, Transportation is certainly a thorny problem and not something that I spent a whole lot of time uh, thinking about in prior years, except for when I was. Sitting sitting through 42 traffic (laughs) lights to get from St. Joe's to my house in East Cobb. And so there are lots of things that I can learn about. And it's great to have the opportunity to have a few months to really study up and meet with the right people and know who all the go-to experts are. And just get ready for a very busy session. Because in the middle of the session, I don't think you have time to do that.
0: Well, I know I caught you on your way to go down to the Capitol, actually, and, and do some work around your upcoming job responsibilities. Do you have a couple of final thoughts before I let you get on with the rest of your afternoon?
1: Well, I'm very excited about the opportunity. I think I have a big advantage in that I've already had a really great career that I loved a lot. I really didn't need another career. I wasn't looking for another career. And so I'm going into this with sort of a clean slate and no aspirations to go to Washington. <laughs> so I think that that will give me an advantage. And I do think that the combination of healthcare and business background will hopefully help me to bring some logic and a common sense approach to the problems that we face as a state, because there are plenty of them.
0: Do you have contact information established yet? I know you're kind of in the process of doing that now.
1: I think I will this afternoon.
0: Okay. I was going to share it if we do. If When we get a hold of it, we'll make sure that we post it to the podcast when it goes live. If you've not done so already, make sure you go to the upper left-hand corner of the show page. You'll see the Top Docs logo there, that, or the Apple logo. That'll take you to the Top Docs podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to us, and that way, each week when the new episode comes out, all these cool guests will be sitting there on your device ready for you to check out when it's convenient for you. And clearly, as Dr. Kirkpatrick was talking here today, there's some items that really need the attention of our healthcare colleagues around the state of Georgia be involved in these conversations I understand the logic of the topic that you just mentioned, where there's some looking at at how our our patients in the community use emergency services, for example. I understand we don't want to use that as a primary care office. But clearly, there's going to have to be some measure of of discussion on that kind of approach to make it do what they wanted it to do and not have unintended consequences that ended up having. You know, poor outcomes and, and greater costs in the end. So clearly good reasons to be active with Medical Association of Georgia. And we strongly encourage you to do that as well. Make sure even if you can't participate, uh, say, as one of the delegates or, or, or uh, some kind of office within the association, we encourage you to get in touch with those people and, and let them know what type of issues that you're facing or thoughts that you have on legislation that is being discussed right now because those opinions and insights from you will potentially make a big difference in the outcome of those conversations and legislation that gets passed. So we hope that you will go through the process of making your voice be heard through the Medical Association of Georgia. You can certainly uh, find out more about what's going on with them at mag.org. And Dr. Kirkpatrick, I really appreciate you taking time. You're really busy and you came here in the studio to let folks get a little bit familiar with you. So. I look forward to talking to you once things get rolling and we can uh, dig into some of these issues.
1: That's great. Thank you very much. I
0: appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Everybody out there who made us a part of your day-to-day, we want to say thank you so much and turn around and share this information. You might put some uh, information in the hands of somebody that makes a difference to you. And we will say thanks to all that do that. We look forward to catching up with you next week. We'll see you then.